Hello and welcome to the Talking Food with Bid Food podcast. I'm Joe Anglis and on the menu for this episode we'll be talking again about the importance of sustainability in food service. This will be a two-part episode. It's focused specifically on providing advice and guidance to support businesses to address climate change and tackle their own net zero or carbon reduction commitments. The importance of this subject is huge. There is more demand than ever for businesses to provide clarity on their UK energy use and carbon emissions. In fact, since April 2019, larger businesses have been required to report this information publicly. However, for smaller businesses, it's just as important to be clear since there'll be pressures coming from their customers and their employees. Here at Bidfood, we're on an exciting sustainability journey ourselves after recently launching a new environmental, social and governance program to support our customers. So for part one, I'm really glad that I'll be joined by the person who has headed up this journey for Bidfood, Julie Oust. She is our Head of Sustainability and Change and has a huge amount of learnings to share from working with customers, suppliers and industry organisations. In part two of this episode, we'll be joined by Anne Simone, Head of Sustainability and Compliance at Foodbuy. Together at Foodbuy and Compass, they've done a huge amount of impressive work in the sustainability world and she has a vast amount of experience and knowledge. So without any further delay, let's bring Julie onto the podcast. Hi, Julie. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joe. So, Julie, please, can you share a bit about your role and your background working in sustainability, please? Sure. Um, so I've been in this role for nearly four years. Um, I actually came from a background in change management, which is quite unusual for this role. But it actually makes total sense to me because the way we do business needs to change at pace. Um, so the skills for that are relevant. Um, and in that short time, in those four years, so much has changed in terms of internal and external awareness of the need to change it's a constant learning curve it never stands still um, and I love it great thanks Julie now going back onto our subject matter for this episode it'd be good to start off with bid food stance on things so how important is sustainability and climate change to bid food and where does it sit in relation to our overall strategy and priorities right now yeah so sustainability and climate action have thankfully really moved up the agenda for both private and public sector customers for ourselves and across the industry there's so much more carbon literacy in terms of understanding how we measure our greenhouse gas emissions what scope one two and three each consist of because that would have sounded like a foreign language i think a few years ago Um, and crucially there's starting to be far greater understanding of how food production drives climate change and talk of climate friendly diets is now a commonly used term so it's higher up the agenda in the general marketplace Um, and in terms of our overall strategy and priorities I would say that business priorities are reflected in terms of the time and money devoted to an issue and we are definitely spending time and money on this net zero ambition. Um, It's not easy I think science-based targets add a layer of complexity which has slowed our progress in terms of reporting Um, so we've got little to show for it at this stage but it's one of our four strategic priorities as we move forward. And I would say that net zero is number one in terms of the amount of focus it gets. And what is Bidfood's position on net zero and how did the commitment come about and how did they approach it? So pre-pandemic, we did have carbon reduction targets in place, but they weren't as ambitious as I'd have liked them to be. But as an organisation, we're big on trust and authenticity and we genuinely didn't want to put targets in place that we might fail. So our targets were based on achievable plans Uh, mainly through kind of energy reduction measures and projects that we knew we could achieve. But that was counterintuitive in a climate crisis. 
it's really clear that in a climate crisis, your ambitions have to outpace what you know you can achieve. Um, and again, it goes against the grain for me because I tend to underpromise and over deliver in my whole approach to work. So, but when it comes to the climate crisis, I don't see much point in not following the science um, because let's face it, we all heard during COVID that the only credible strategy is to follow the science. So we chose the path of the science-based targets initiative. It's very ambitious. I genuinely don't know if it's possible to decarbonize food production at the pace required. Um, none of this is cost neutral. It requires research and development technology, investment. Someone has to pay for all that. And the cost of food, which is already high, doesn't include any of that yet. Um, I'm not sure our customers have the appetite for more food price increases. Um, but we are certainly committed and on the journey and trying hard to get there. And where are bid food on that journey at the moment? So we've got our baseline carbon footprint agreed, which took a lot longer than expected. And we'll be publishing that in our sustainability report, which is produced in November. Um, it took longer to produce because of data issues. It was more complex than expected. So we've got our baseline and that's the baseline against which we're going to be setting our targets. And that is the next step that we're going to be taking. And I guess in your journey, what kind of challenges and opportunities have you faced on the journey to net zero? So in terms of challenges, um, I think this is a really good question because science is learning so much more about climate change as time goes on. And in the profession, we're having to keep up with an evolving landscape in this area. Uh, at the moment, the food industry is having to get its head around reducing deforestation and the emissions related to deforestations. In terms of the science-based targets, those guidelines are called FLAG. They're called the forest, land and agriculture related emissions. This is one aspect that's delaying our target setting process because we really have to understand how we can achieve those. A lot of work will be dependent on the cooperation of suppliers in terms of helping us meet flag related reductions so we'll be embarking on a whole program of supplier engagement because we have such a huge scope three footprint that we are dependent on our suppliers doing the work of carbon reduction for us to be able to um, reduce our carbon footprint by definition because we're in the food business so that is a huge challenge and a huge opportunity because we're yet to start on that um, in terms of other opportunities I would say that knowing our carbon footprint has been a real game changer in terms of understanding what drives our emissions, what our, where our hotspots are, and we're able to take a far more kind of logical approach to carbon reduction um, and be more strategic about it. So because our scope one footprint is hugely driven by the fuel in our vehicles, we're trialling HVO, uh, which is hydro-treated vegetable oil, in some of our trucks at our Edinburgh depot because that delivers up to 90% less CO2. So we are um, seeing how that goes. Positive results so far, but it's more expensive than diesel. So we're just kind of examining the case for wider change. Um, we're working on a programme of solar panel installation. We need to look at our refrigerants. Obviously, we, we run a lot of chiller and freezer chambers. So refrigerants play quite a role in our scope one carbon footprint um, we're constantly scouring the horizon to understand technological developments I have no doubt that technology will evolve hugely in the next few years in terms of food production the agricultural and farm processes alternative fuel for heavy goods vehicles and basically aligned to the kind of growth of the low carbon economy I think this is a really exciting space to be in and I'm really looking forward to seeing how things will evolve 
over the next few years. So when discussing uh, emissions, we have scope one, two and three, which all sounds a little bit confusing to me. So I was wondering if you could please explain what it all means. Yes, absolutely. So put it really simply, scope one are the emissions that arise from your direct consumption. So that's fuel you directly consume as a business. So for us, it's diesel and refrigerants, a tiny bit of natural gas. Um, some companies might use LPG, but it's what we directly consume as business. So scope two is your indirect emissions based on the electricity you're consuming. So, for example, if you're sourcing purely renewable energy, you wouldn't have any scope two emissions. Scope three are usually the largest category and often the least well understood and measured. And they are all the emissions arising up and down your value chain and the emissions that basically exist because you exist as a business. So everything from employee commuting, the carbon footprint of the products you buy, if you're if you're buying products to sell, the energy used to process those products. Scope three is all the other emissions and it, it can be absolutely huge. Uh, so it's really important to understand scope three because a lot of businesses don't report on their scope three and it looks like they have a far smaller carbon footprint. Um, so for us as a food business, our scope three is about 95% of our actual carbon footprint because we buy huge amounts of food and we sell that on. And the greenhouse gas protocol basically says we are responsible for the emissions of the food we buy. So that's why the emissions arising from food production fall into our carbon footprint because we have to take some responsibility for those. So we are embarking on a programme, as I said, of supplier engagement, but just to manage expectations on what that data looks like. The food industry as a whole has quite poor data when it comes to food supply chains because they're global, they're fragmented. And our scope three is basically it's a way of saying how much money are you spending on, for example, beef? That equates to this amount of emissions. Typically, how much money are you spending on chicken? This typically equates to another amount of emissions and it's all kind of spend based but as we engage suppliers and we ask for real data we'll be gradually replacing those spend based assumptions with actual data um, and I'm told that your carbon footprint typically reduces because the spend based data usually gives you a bigger carbon footprint because it's based on so many assumptions so I'm hoping it will be a bit smaller once we replace it with real data but of course, we'll then have to embark on reducing that carbon footprint. So there's different stages. There's capturing the data, measuring it, understanding its accuracy, and then reducing the emissions related to that, which is the most important bit. So hopefully that gives you a bit of understanding of how, why it's complicated, but what drives scope one, two and three. Absolutely. It sounds a bit of a maze, but it's, uh, <laughs> that was, that was uh, yeah, really good. Thank you so much for doing that. It would be great to hear your advice for customers on the subject as well. So what practical tips can you share on reducing emissions and getting started on a net zero journey? So my first tip is just to get started. It's really easy to focus on the lack of data or what you can't do, but there are so many things we can do. And the, the I, I always think just get started and, and improve as you go along. So I'm always keen to help customers understand more about climate friendly menus um, we should act on what we already know, know. For example, we know that meat, especially beef and lamb, have the highest carbon intensity. Encouraging consumers to shift to a more plant-based diet is unequivocally the best way forward. 
there are lots of ways to do this and one simple way is to integrate vegetarian choices in the main body of the menu uh, it's proven that segregating vegetarian choices for example in a separate listing means fewer people choose them it's not just about going wholly veggie shifting proportions of veg and meat buying better quality meat etc um, pricing tactics can be used to nudge behaviors I recently did a whole assignment for my master's on how chefs can use their menus to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. I'm very happy to share that with anyone who cares to read it. It's not very long. Um, uh, and we're also trying to do what we can to reduce our carbon footprint of our deliveries. So the HBO trial at Edinburgh is part of that, seeing if we can widen that out, because we know that our the deliveries to our customers are an important part of their carbon footprint. Um, and the way that we run consolidated deliveries, i.e. ambient children frozen on the same vehicle, helps reduce emissions to customers. Um, but if anyone's interested in knowing more, very happy to talk more with customers who would like to know more. So I'm going to wrap up the episode now. Before I do, Julie, thank you so much for joining our podcast again. There was a huge amount of information there and advice, which was so really useful. Thank you. Thanks, you. It was fantastic to hear Julie's experiences and knowledge, and I hope it's given you ideas on what you can do to reach your goals and targets. If you're keen to learn more, make sure you listen to part two of this episode with Anne Simonet, Head of Sustainability and Compliance from Foodbuy, which is sure to be a must listen. I'd also recommend listening to our recent episode on becoming net zero with Kate Nichols, CEO of UK Hospitality, and Kristen Phyllis, who's the Director of Zero Carbon Forum. We had a really interesting conversation and discussed fantastic tools and ideas you can implement at your business. You'll find links to all initiatives and ideas we've discussed in this episode in our show notes. This includes a link to Bidfood's new sustainability program and support we have for customers to reduce emissions and hit sustainability targets. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure you give us a follow on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on so you can be the first to hear our latest episodes. Thank you for listening and until next time, goodbye.